it's a breakup scene. When does the breakup scene happen? It happens in the morning. It happens over breakfast. Okay. So someone's making coffee. Someone's scrambling eggs. Someone's doing that. Add it to the scene. Just let it in. You know, how do you want your eggs today? Uh, you know, over easy, over easy. Okay, fine. You know, and you start to see like, like they're talking about eggs, but the breakup's coming, right? You just let it happen. Let, let the eggs tell the story. You know what I'm saying? Like, just mm-hmm. let like, and people go, Oh, that's genius. How do you think of that? <laughs> I, they're, they're making breakfast, man. We have eggs for breakfast. I don't know. It's something, it's what they did. You know what I mean? Yeah, don't, yeah. don't make it a big deal. You can't now people go, oh, how do you think of that? I thought about what it's like making breakfast with someone who you don't want living in your house anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And then boom, great breakup scene. Wonderful. This is Way of the Artist with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Identifying your blocks and demystifying your struggles so that you can claim your own path and make your life a work of art. Welcome to another podcast with Brandon and Evan. Uh, we don't have a title for this one. We're going to find it on the way, but we do have a bit of a direction. We had a talk before we started and some good things came up, I think. Uh, you know, I, maybe you can rephrase this in, in a better way, Evan, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to say it in my interpretation. Something you put in your book, uh, your latest book, uh, your wind journal, um, which is if you take care of the present, the future takes care of itself. And I think this is something that everybody can benefit from being reminded of because, you know, as Alan Watts says, and we talk about him a lot, no amount of worry is going to do anything about the future. It really won't. Uh, And I think that it's very easy to get caught into worry and stress, especially when you are venturing out to do something that is not guaranteed, not safe, not predictable, not obviously going to work out a certain way. Um, not that anything ever really does, but I think that we kind of live in an illusion that we can kind of uh, do the safe choice. And my point on that is that sometimes I think when we think we're doing the safe thing, we're actually putting the moment aside and we're actually not nurturing it. We're not tending Mm. to it. And because we're not tending to it, what we are building is a garden, but we're building a garden of weeds, something we don't really want. And it might look like there's a lot of stuff growing in it, but most of it is not useful. It's not helpful. Um, you know, and I think the the scary thing is, you know, if we're going to stay on this garden analogy just for one more moment i would say like maybe it's scary just to have this open patch of dirt with nothing growing out of it and maybe that's frightening to a lot of us and so we opt to kind of have these weeds or these things grow in it just to feel like we're growing something <laughs> um and i i i think that maybe we might get into how this uh maybe we need to challenge some of those ideas and maybe mm-hmm. we need to look at Um, you know, if you're just trying to grow a flower in your garden, you know, one flower that you want, that's where it begins, you know, and if that's right now, and that's the one thing you can do, that's a good thing to do. So uh, that's kind of where I'm coming at it from for now. I don't know where this will lead for me, but, uh, what do you got to add there, Evan? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm interested in 
to see where this conversation goes. Uh, there's some really terrific sort of themes that some of them that go into our like our artist laws that I think come together and and you know definitely presence is a big part of this simplicity is a big part of this conversation um you know i always love that you uh throw in good old alan watson on this one and uh and and this whole thing about worry it also makes me think of the uh you know the late night comedy classic uh van wilder (laughs) with a young ryan reynolds um I remember he, he has this line in there. It's like, worrying's like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Um, yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it is. It's, it's um, you know, worrying is this sort of projection into the future, right? Worrying is not really actually a, a present emotion. Like, yes, we can, it, it, it's one of those weird things where it's like, yes, you can be in a state of worry, but normally worry is a result of us throwing our mind into these possibilities of bad outcomes in the future, right? But none of those things are real, I suppose. Yes, that they are possible, but, you know, that the the worrying is is really kind of the evil in the whole thing uh, about it. There's like a, another great quote, I think it was Aristotle, where it's like, fear is the anticipation of evil or something like that. I think we could also throw worry, anxiety into that same sort of category. They're like forms of fear. Um, but it's like, it's this anticipation. It's this thought of something happening uh, a certain way that that you would find undesirable. But if you actually really truly become just present with yourself and where you are, what are you doing right now in this moment? You know, none of these things are happening. And, and we're living in in this sort of state and you know i've i've talked about this with with people and you know and just conversations out in the world and i've had pushback on this whole notion of like no amount of worrying you know will <laughs> will will change anything right and there's this sort of attitude like well no because if i don't worry about it then nothing will get done about it Right. And it's just like, well, what if you could do something about it, but just drop the worry about the whole thing? You know, Mm. like what, like what, because yes, there are things to tend to in our lives, but when we're just present, we can tend to, we, we can tend to these things without the baggage of this worry. Right. And because it, it, it doesn't, the worrying doesn't necessarily actually put you in a better position to address challenges and problems at all. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it can very often work against you. And, um, you know, I'll use an example for, from like, you know, what I do with like my students who are taking like my, my first level classes, right? Like one of the first things I ask people to do is like the first exercise is, I want you to turn away from, you know, like there's two people up and they're facing each other and and I will call on one of them to turn away from their partner. And I say, when I say go, you turn back to them. And I want you to just say, just say the first thing that you notice about them, the first physical thing that you notice about them, right? Is it hair? Is it nose? Is it eyebrow? Is it shirt? Right? Just sort of that. And one of the most fascinating things to me about this very simple exercise 
um, is how much gets in the way from doing a simple thing. And it's normally it, you can chalk it up to one of those worrying, fearful kinds of things. So it's like, oh, okay, I'm doing this exercise. I want to do this exercise really well. Right. So people will get up there and they will start, okay, I'm going to plan the next thing that I'm going to say, you know, what's the next thing I'm going to notice. Right. It's like, but the problem with that is that through that worry, you are now doing something to try and control the outcome of this exercise. Mm -hmm. But in the very doing of that, you actually make yourself incapable of doing the exercise because the exercise is to just turn and what is the first thing you actually see? What is the first thing you actually notice? So all of that worrying and planning and all of the stuff that's going on and saying, oh, I'm going to turn, I'm going to say this next time is, is completely counter to the exercise. You've, you've essentially blinded yourself from being able to just be present and do the thing and actually become aware of what you're actually aware of. Right. Which is what I find so fascinating. And I think that this is kind of how that that sort of anxiety worry thing operates. And and because we are looking out to this thing that doesn't exist, but could possibly exist way out there in the future. Right. Which, again, I will argue. I know I'm talking a lot, Brandon, but I will argue that the human mind, let alone many human minds put together, are unable to accurately predict so like like so many things that go on in our world let alone just ourselves with the things that are going to happen in in our lives and the innumerable amount of variables that can occur within that time gap that we've created in our heads right it's just not doable mm. it's not you 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 can't do it um Where was I going with this, Brandon? <laughs> well, listen, Evan, I got to cut. You can't do it, Brandon. That's 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 maybe the main thing. It's just like you can't do it, and uh, and and so actually, just becoming present to what is the thing that's right in front of you. What is the thing that you can do right now with attention, with care, with love, all yeah. of these things? If you can do that thing, the future begins to sort itself out on many levels there's mm. so i'll i will turn it over to you brandon oh man well i mean there's so many things you said and i had like seven things where i was like oh i could go that way i could go this way uh let me start with this one <laughs> if you can control the future then why you worry <laughs> Mm. <laughs> right because like this whole worry thing is somehow this game we play with ourselves as though if i worry enough i can control it well if you can control it then why worry it doesn't make sense the logic yeah, doesn't yeah. work right so like first that's the number one secondly i have a tenant in life which is don't ever make a decision out of fear unless you're absolutely actually scared and i would argue this most of the time you're not scared Yes, you feel fear. I get that. That's actually happening. You feel the worry, the anxiety. You feel the feeling, but you're not actually scared. You've convinced yourself of a ghost. It's mm. not there. So you have made yourself scared 
by literally just playing a game with your mind. That's all you did. You're, there's nothing to be scared of. You're not actually scared. You're creating the feeling of fear. You're you're saying that it's because of this thing maybe in the future that might go wrong, blah, 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 whatever, but it isn't. It isn't because of that, because that has never happened, might never happen, and and probably most likely won't happen because you're controlling against it anyway. So you're not that you can you can make certain that it won't happen, but there's a whole game that goes on with worry and anxiety. It's 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 a it's a big trick we do with ourselves. So you know, the, part of the reason why I say don't make decisions out of fear is because most fear isn't real. So most of those decisions aren't real because you're playing an imaginary game in your head and you're not making a real decision with real data, like real. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, is like, there's another point. It's like, okay, well people, you know, I don't like this word can't, but I, I know what you're saying, but I'm sure there's someone out there going like, well, you can, you can, cause you can get enough data and da da da. Okay, great. So if you got the data, then make your bet, you know, cause that's all you can do. You can make your bet and maybe you're right. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're right. Are you going to put everything on it? Are you going to bet 100%? You know, is there an ounce of doubt? Because usually when you start to do things that are a little more bold, a little more risky, a little more exciting, a little more fun, and a little more rewarding, the risk element becomes less certain. And the data becomes less uh, solid, more variable. There's more things that get in the way of it, right? So... Like a lot of what you do in life about the things that matter is an experiment. So if it's an experiment, why get scared about what the result might show you? It's learning, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to try this. Let's see if it works. Uh, You know, if you should listen to Stephen King talk about how he became a novelist and how he got a thousand rejections and how he put a nail on the wall and he put all those rejection letters into that nail and eventually he got more rejection letters than he had space on the nail. So what did he do? He put a bigger nail in the wall. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like Stephen King is arguably one of the most notorious, famous like novelists and storytellers of our modern generation and possibly of all time. Um, But he, he messed up a lot. He made a lot of mistakes. A lot of his stories were experiments that didn't work out and didn't get finished. And a lot of things didn't ever get made or no one thought they worked, but he kept at it. He kept working and everything was an experiment. And the only reason why I can say his name and there's certain people that would actually know who he is is because he just kept experimenting and kept trying and he didn't make it mean something. And I'm sure every time he created a story, he intended it for it to be a success. Mm-hmm. No, so like, you know, I think that there's, um, you know, what can he do? Right? He says he writes six pages a day. That was his. That was his practice. I'll write for six six pages a day. That's my. That's my aim. That's my goal. Um, and, you know, that's what he could control, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and how many days did he have to write six pages a day to get to the point where? His name is a household name and you know, Stephen King. I mean, and I could, you know, we could talk about many people, right? Not everyone has the same story, but this is kind of the idea, right? Like a lot of it's all made up. So I think this is a really interesting kind of vein we're opening up here because, um, I mean, man, like, it's not like I'm exempt from this one. Like it catches me every now and then I get worried, I get anxious and I'm like caught in it and it's hard to get out. And I don't think you should make yourself wrong. 
because you're in it. It doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you human. But I think the aim really is to transcend it. I don't think it really helps us. Um, and the more we see that, the more we are reminded of that, the better off we are. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so like one more thing, if I can add, we're, we're controlled a lot by our imaginary fear. Um, we make decisions because people, people can aggravate our imagination into fear and that can aggravate us to make decisions that are unwise. So you might use an example, like you want to get an alarm system for your house. A shady alarm salesman will talk about the break-ins that have been happening a lot recently. Oh my God. What if the break-in happens to us or me before we get the alarm system in? Right. And now like this puts pressure on you and now you're, you're, so you might not even need an alarm system and it might not even be that pressing, but now the fear is, is making you you know, get all caught up in the idea and it's getting you hyper-focused on it. And while you're hyper-focused on your alarm system, that was maybe just an idea in the beginning, it now becomes the most important thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And this is why making decisions out of fear is not always a wise decision because there might be m- more important things. Um, and also a lot of energy is being expelled and wasted into this whole thing, you know? Um, and and I, I know, I, I know I'm, I'm talking a lot now. Here's the thing. When it comes to fear, you 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 do one thing. Either you get rid of it or you do something that actually does something. That th- th- That's it. Because once you do something with fear, it goes away. Or you just decide, I'm not going to be scared of that because there's a ghost and there's nothing to be scared of. Like if you run into the tiger in the bush, you make a decision. You fight it or you run or you hide, right? You got like one of three choices. You figure that out, right? You make your choice. You do your thing. You commit to your option. And then, and then that threat is either confronted, dealt with, or it goes away, right? And and then it's over. But if you sit and worry and nothing is done, you just, it's, it's just like hanging out in that indecision. I mean, that's not good for you, right? So, I mean, that's pretty clear, I think. (laughs) Yeah. No, there's lots of. Man, there's lots of good stuff. Um, yeah, it's lots of good stuff that you that you that you threw in there. I'm gonna have some uh, some uh, a lot of clips that I can pull on for our uh, <laughs> little previews and stuff, Brandon. Um, yeah, I know this 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 conversation is has uh, already taken some interesting turns um, for me, and and I love what you mentioned about Stephen King there and to me like that kind of brings in some of that element of uh simplicity and presence right like it's just Stephen King broke it down into something simple and actionable six pages a day you know like that's pretty simple like that's Mm -hmm. that's a manageable thing and the whole thing with um like yeah and, and and not being able to control those outcomes uh, of things. If anyone wants to dive deep into that, I highly recommend uh, finding a good translation of the Bhagavad Gita because um, it's so much about that whole that whole thing. But, you know, what he could do was write six pages a day. I love that. I love that because it's so simple. And those six, I don't know if like, like how long is it 
Like, have you oh, seen yeah. like it's 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 monstrous. I mean, it's and he's written so many monstrous books, you know, and it's like it's like that's incredible to think that it's just like that's six pages a day. That's and and it turns into this thing that becomes bigger. But if you if you set out to write a thousand page novel or, you know, some thing like that, that's just such a that's just such a overwhelming thing to look at. You know, like to that, that for most people that would be crushing, you know, to, to be staring at, at a peak like, like that, as opposed to, I have this idea for the story and I'm going to just write six pages a day until it's done Mm -hmm. and not worry about how many pages the thing is going to be, but just write the story, Mm -hmm. you know, just keep your mind present to the thing itself and what happens in the case of Stephen King is you write a number of masterpieces Mm -hmm. you know but that's through that present focus and a simple process you know it just shows how how those things come together and another thing that uh you mentioned that I thought uh was worth really touching on again is is this relationship that exists between control and fear right we fear something so we're trying to control it right but the problem is is that the control is an expression of the fear Mm, that's a good catch and and then it ends up controlling you yeah your fear ends up controlling you because it's just like it's 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 a two-way street it just kind (laughs) of comes just it just folds it back in on itself yeah. Right. It's like a snake, snake eating its tail kind of a kind of a situation, um, which is uh, and again, something that I remember hearing from Alan Watts one one time was he was talking about how anyone who's thought about power, right, like basically that anyone who's really thought of of having power would never want it if you've ever really thought about it. And it was because of this point of control becomes part of it. In order to have power, you have to control so many things. And it's an impossible kind of task. I think that that's part of why there is this anxiety um, that comes out of this type of thing. It's like, okay, well I worry. And then, and then I'll make sure that I get all this stuff and do all of these things. And da, 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 da. I think that there's just, there's a part of us that is always aware of the fact that we don't know and that we don't control everything and that we never could. I think that that's part of what fuels that anxiety is that the secretly there's a part of us that completely knows it, that, that it's just not possible and that mm. you're actually, that we're actually engaged in trying to do something that is not doable. Hmm. Um, but yeah, that this, this, that power and control basically breed fear because there's, there's a never ending list of things. And, you know, there's so many, uh, I mean, real life stories as well as fictional stories where you can see the story of like the, you know, the person who rises to power or something like that and 
then their whole world comes crumbling down, you know, as they are basically scrambling around to basically plug holes in the ship, right? Because they've got this big ship now and this hole is coming in. They got to plug that one and this one and that one and this one. And then they they don't trust anyone anymore. And it's just, and eventually the whole kingdom comes to ruin, Mm. right? Uh, That's the story of power. Yeah. You know, which, which, it has is told time and time and time again, you know, this, this sort of quest for power, um, which in many ways is, is something that we're all wrapped up in to some extent, you know, because we're all in many ways stuck in this thing of trying to control so many things in our lives. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's part of the scary thing in terms of like, what I've definitely learned from a number of places, but definitely from, you know, as an actor and in, in teaching acting, which is just like, you know, it's an art form that just demands that you are present. You mm. have to be present. You have to respond to the thing that's actually happening. You can't be responding to some idea of, of what your partner just said to you in your head. You know, you have to respond to what they actually said to you, how they actually said it to you, how they're actually treating you, not your, not what you think they're supposed to be doing, but what they're actually doing. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't do that as an audience, we just go, what the fuck was that? Yeah. You know, like we might not be able to put our, put our finger on it necessarily, but we'll be like, what was that? That was weird. You know, like that was, that was bizarre. And, and, but you know, a lot of us are pretty savvy when it comes to watching actors. <laughs> like we, we're, it's a medium that we're very used to. And, and we can say, it's just like, that was some pretty bad acting, you know? And it's so often because of actors who aren't listening to each other, they're acting at each other instead of actually with each other, really listening and responding. Um, so there, I think that there's, you know, I always find that there's these little grains of wisdom that, that can cross over into our lives as well. Like, well, why don't you just respond to the thing that's actually right in front of you? Not what you think it is, but what, what it actually is. Right. Yeah. And then just do the simple thing. Just say the next line. You don't need to worry about the line that's coming up at, at the end of the performance, that big moment. Take care of the one that's right in front of you right now. Respond to the person that, and, and what they're doing right now. And then when the time comes for that big moment, if you were really listening, you're really paying attention, you're really involved and interested in what was happening from moment to moment to moment, that, that, that thing is going to happen to you. That amazing moment is going to happen. And people will go like, Oh my God, did you see that when they, you know, when they said that line to (laughs) the other actor and wasn't that amazing. And it was just like, well, you were just, you were just in it. Mm. You know, like there was no time for you to think or worry about how that was going to happen because you were it. Mm-hmm. You were you were just it. And it was truthful and it was honest and it reverberates to the audience. Right. Um, please, everybody use this as as I, I am speaking very specifically about acting. If you're an actor, that's that that's terrific. But. <laughs> You know, the, these, I, I find that this is something that extends far beyond that and has a lot to do with, um, at least for me, what we're talking about here. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. So one thing I, I have to ch- try to make a point of is, uh, trust is such an important element in all this because 
um, you know, pow, pow, like you were talking about power and how like power ultimately leads, you don't trust anybody. And I mean, I think that's, that's true in a lot of ways, especially when, um, especially when you don't trust, like, because if you, if you built your power because you didn't trust it. And so you needed to coerce or force or do stuff like that because you didn't trust that the thing would do it on its own. Now you need to manage it because if you don't manage it, you know, you know, now you forced it. And once you coerce it, it doesn't want to do it anymore on its own because now you made it do it. And so like you look at kids, right? Uh, parenting. Um, if you force and coerce your kids to do things, they're inadvertently not going to want to do it because now it's become a bad thing. Because if you had to force and coerce them, then they know in, intrinsically, or at least they think in their own minds. I mean, this is natural human thing. Well, it must be bad because you had to pressure me to do it. So I must not want to do it. And it's psychological. You actually, by by expressing power over something, it, you actually inform the thing that it doesn't want it. Mm. And so, um, you know, trust becomes a very fickle thing for a person who uses power inappropriately and uses it um, for their own benefit or uses it without implementing persuasion and mm, for lack of a better word, sa sales, you know, and like, look, here's the thing. I'll tell you what I learned about sales. And I know this sounds like it's a little off talk, but it really isn't. And this is one thing, like if, if you learn this one lesson, man, I mean, you can, you, you can make money for the rest of your life and you'll, you, you know, you'll always be okay. If you can learn this one lesson, it's one lesson. I promise you, you, you can make money for the rest of your life. I'm not saying you'll be wealthy. I'm not saying you'll be super rich, but you'll always be okay if you can know this one thing. Sales is not selling as most people think of it. Sales is understanding. Sales is understanding. People already want. That is not going to go away. Sales is simply getting in front of what people want and having what they need when they get there. Somebody's climbing a mountain and you know that they're going to run out of water by the time they get to this spot and you have water. It's a pretty fucking easy sale, isn't it? They already want water. You have it. That, it, it and so foresight into understanding that people want things already. You don't need to you don't need to force them or coerce them or pressure them or do all these power tricks to get them to do something they don't want to do. Because yes, you'll get the sale once sometimes if you're really sneaky and snaky and you know tricky and crafty. But the thing is, is you won't get that repeat sale because nobody wants to be, you know, no one wants the the pressure. They don't want that, right? And the, and we're becoming more and more aware of that all the time. And so like, um, you know, like when you, that's like people, but like, you're the same way. So if you coerce and pressure yourself into doing shit, you don't want to do, you teach yourself that you don't want to do it. So why are you going to go do it? Cause you, you had to force yourself. You had to coerce yourself. You had to trick yourself. You had to be crafty into getting yourself to do it. Now you have to, you have to find out you have to, it's, it's another level. You know, you got to dig in a little deeper. You got to go in and you go, what do I actually want here? Okay. So like, let's take it into worry. For example, 
I'm, I'm, I'm worried that my kids won't be safe or something when I'm not around. Okay. What do you actually want? Right? What do you want? You want to keep your kids safe. You want to keep them protected. You want to, you want to figure out how to be somewhere where you can't always be. You know what I mean? Now you can, instead of having a fear and worrying and doing all this, you can start to think, okay, what do I need to do to satisfy the desire that I have to figure out how to solve this problem? Because I need to work, but I also want to be there for them. How do I do this thing? Right? That is creative problem solving that solutions. That's how you, that's how you do a lot of this stuff. All worry does is it just amplifies the fact that you're scared and it does nothing. It does no actual, um, forward movement and it doesn't really create any new form of trust. It doesn't build any value. It doesn't make anything better. Um, you know, and like, it's, it's, it's all like, you got to sell yourself and, and not in a coercive power way. You need to sell yourself, in my opinion, on understanding why you want what you want, why you're doing what you're doing. Let me take this one more step, Evan, just as I work with writers is very similar to how you're talking about actors. Cause I, I encounter this with writers all the time. They get, they get super wigged out at some point and they're just like, ah, just like think everything I'm writing is shit and I, I don't want to show you yet or, you know, or, you know, I, I, whatever, I can't write anything. And it's like, they're always scared that it's not good enough. I mean, it always comes down to that all the time. And I always tell writers all the time, you cannot, well, you can try, but I mean, there's no point in, in, in trying to write well or be a good writer. Like whatever you think that is, you cannot control for that. What you can control for is trying to express whatever it is you're truthfully trying to express in that moment. And, um, you know, I have a group of people and they're working on editing right now. And it's really fun because they just went through the creative process and I went through them through an editing exercise. And I'm saying, look, you write it the first time. And that's what you, that's what you did. You had to work with a blank piece of paper. You had to create something out of nothing. And that's what you came up with. And now we come in as an editor and we look at it and we make it better. We improve it. We see where it doesn't quite add up. But meanwhile, they couldn't even write the words on the page because it's as though the editor was never going to be invited into the room. So you write down whatever you need to write down, you know, like you just, it, it's a breakup scene. When does the breakup scene happen? It happens in the morning. It happens over breakfast. Okay. So someone's making coffee. Someone's scrambling eggs. Someone's doing that. Add it to the scene. Just let it in. You know, how do you want your eggs today? Uh, you know, over easy, over easy. Okay, fine. You know, and you start to see like, like they're talking about eggs, but the breakup's coming, right? You just let it happen. Let, let the eggs tell the story. You know what I'm saying? Like, just mm -hmm. let, like, and people go, oh, that's genius. How do you think of that? <laughs> I, they're, they're making breakfast, man. We have eggs for breakfast. I don't know. It's something, it's what they did. You know what I mean? Yeah, don't, yeah. don't make it a big deal. You can't now people go, oh, how do you think of that? I thought about what it's like making breakfast with someone who you don't want living in your house anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then boom, great breakup scene. Wonderful. Everybody's moved and it sounds so creative, but they never, they're not talking about the breakup. They're talking about eggs, but the breakup is there because we know how they feel and we get it right. 
Hey everybody, this is Evan, and this episode is brought to you by my book. Yes, I recently released a book called The Actor's Awakening, Connecting Spirituality to Craft. Expand yourself as an actor and your craft through a spiritual perspective. Take a journey that will explore universal philosophies and insights to help you understand human nature in a profound way, and develop practices to take your work to another level. Again, that's The Actor's Awakening, Connecting Spirituality to Craft, available on Kindle and paperback on Amazon. And as always, if you like the show, please subscribe. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? I'm just kind of riffing. Yeah, no, your- no, I, I love it. I love it. It's just like, you know, you, you're you're planting the seed, you know, like, and, and uh, you know, it's like the, the, the tree or the flower is implied in the seed. And it's like yeah. <laughs> you, you sort of, you put it, you put this thing in the ground, which is like, there's these two people that together, it's not working out. They're having eggs. Let's yeah. see what, ha- let's see what happens and just follow it. You follow, you begin with a word, you begin with the sentence and well, what would they, how, what would they say to that? You know? Right. Mm. And then what, how would they reply to that? You know, and you just, and you just find out, you discover that's always like the, that's, that's when the creative process is at its best and life is the creative process. It's the ultimate creative process. And, you know, it follows these same sort of, you know, not rules, you know, but there's, it's, there's these kinds of forces, you know, and it's just like, just see where that goes, see where it goes, like in, and, and just from, from moment to moment to moment to moment. And I, and I love that. Uh, I love that description that you just, that you just gave. That was really beautiful. Um, well, guess what? Plot twist, Evan, they're out of milk. Yeah. <laughs> and that becomes an issue. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just making this up. I'm literally making yeah, this up. As yeah. We're and, yeah. And even with, uh, <laughs> I, I was also thinking about with, with acting, something I remember hearing uh, Robert Downey Jr., on i think he was on joe rogan years ago and he was he was talking about about this and it was like something warren beatty shared with him um as a young actor and he was just like and he broke it down into something simple for him you know because i think actors can get really and writers and everyone can get really overly complex and in their heads about all of this shit um you know thinking too far ahead instead of just what right in front of you and, but his whole thing was like, well, no, what's, what's the action of the scene? And not like, you know, like a lot of actors would hear that and they'd be like, oh, the action of the scene is that I am, uh, I am trying to coax them into, uh, you know, da, 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 da. And it's like, okay, maybe, maybe sure. Okay. Maybe, but let's, let's just go down to something simpler here. And it's just like, it's like, what's the action of the scene? What he was referring to is is was what is actually the action of the scene oh well they're cooking eggs or they're driving across town to somebody's house sure or they're you know like what like what what is the actual action of what's going on in the scene because that actually is incredibly informative and i remember like just kind of having a bit of a mini mind mind blown moment you know hearing about that like hearing robert downey talk about that because that's something i'm like oh my god like that's something i almost never i was never even taught to think about that i was never Mm -hmm. even taught to consider that it's like oh no that's not important right but it's like no but like that like that actually informs so many things you know like 
like what they're doing in that moment fulfills many things and, and informs so many things, colors so many of the things that, um, that are going to happen, you know? And, uh, so yeah, what you, what you were saying, uh, about just writing and like the eggs and stuff that really, uh, made me think of that. But yeah, it's like, you know, that's that simple thing. And so often we, we ignore that. And I think we ignore it to our own peril. Um, when, because we are so caught up in having to, having to be something or what we're doing, having to be something mm-hmm. and we can just let that go and just take it from line to line to line, discover, find out, pay attention. Attention is magic as I continually yes. say. Um, and, and I think it's worth, also acknowledging as well and, and repeating, I, I, cause I think I've said this before, but you know, like, yes, attention is magic. And you know, it's like that, that has this nice glowy kind for me, at least maybe it has a different feeling to everyone else. But for me, it's just like, Oh, attention is magic. It's like this glittery, you know, <laughs> beautiful thing that just like, it's like, Oh, attention is magic. It's like, yes. It, and it can be that way when, we're using it constructively when we're using it. And it's that thing of just curiosity and discovery and, and whatnot. But that attention is magic can also be freaking dark magic too, because you put your attention on all of how complicated things are, how much work something is going to be, how difficult something might be, all of these things that could happen along the way and blah, 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 all of this worry, worry, worry that has its own magic. It's going to, something is going to appear to you. That's going to just make it so much more brutal. Right. Whereas when you get simple, you get present and you put your attention on that. That's where the real magic is. That's the magic Mm -hmm. that, that is where that's the magic that you want, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and, and that's where it exists. I think is, is just in that, that presence and the simplicity that can come with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a, this is interesting. Like, like going down the road with this talk, because, you know, I think, uh, you, you know, something that dawned on me is like with a lot of artists and I mean, I suppose this is true for people in many mediums and many way, whatever, but like this whole thing of like, I have to do it. I have to be great. I have to be good. You know, all of that thinking. And I, I, I think we're taught that. I think that's pushed on us. I think that's, or at least implied to a lot of people, or it's misunderstood at least at the very least. Like, I think we, we take that in and, but we don't understand. And here's the thing I can tell you from a, from a screenwriting and storytelling point of view, writing is very, very easy when you let it work for you. So like a good writer, okay. Good writer is like, okay, I got to make the scene interesting. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta find a crafty way to do this dialogue. I gotta be funny. I gotta make it this. I gotta, that's what a crafty, like good screenwriter, talented, that heavy lifting, man, that's fucking hard. That's hard. A skillful writer, a wise writer, 
let's call them, sets the scene up and just lets people talk. Because the scene with the right elements is very simple. You know, you do this in Meisner. I've been in your, I've been in your class, you know, it's like you have an activity, you have an activity. You have to complete this activity by the end of the scene. You have to complete this activity by the end of the scene, but you have to get that person to help you do this, or you have to get that person to help you do this. And now they have two problems. They're in a dilemma. They both have a dilemma. Their attention's being pulled in two different directions and they're trying to do one thing and they're trying to deal with the other thing. And it's hard. And a lot of the great moments come out of the fact that you just put in that simple complexity, and that's only like probably one of many, and I'm sure you can take them to the nth degree, but screenwriting and storytelling is much the same, you know? Um, what kind of eggs do you want this morning? I'm just going to make up the scene, right? What kind of eggs do you want this morning? I want them over easy. Okay. Well, usually I'm scrambled. Oh, today I want them over easy. Okay. You know, and like, they haven't even talked about the breakup. Nothing's happened yet. They're talking about eggs. That's what's happening. Let them talk about eggs. You know what I'm saying? Let that go. I'm already go. in. I'm already right? in. <laughs> well, you want them. I don't want them scrambled today. I want them over easy. I don't know how to make them over easy. Now I got to get your help. How do I make them over easy? I got to look on the phone. I got to figure it out. I, I'm not really sure how I do this properly. Okay. So now that person's got a problem. They just asked them what kind of eggs they want, but they plan to break up and now they got to make them over easy eggs, which they don't want to do. Then they want scrambled eggs. They go look in the fridge. There's no milk. They can't make the scrambled eggs the way they want to make the scrambled eggs. You add in an element, you think of it in the moment. You know what? My partner left an empty carton of milk and I thought there was milk and I was just at the store yesterday and you let the milk come in. Now the milk is letting you know how this relationship really is, right? Yeah. We haven't even talked about the breakup yet, but we get it, right? We get it. We get the, the animosity. We, we, we get feel it coming. The subtext, the things that are underneath, right? Then you, you know, and so then that's your first right, right? You write that, carry out the scene, go where you go. And then you go, you know what? Mm, this could be a little bit more. Maybe one of the characters went out and partied last night. Maybe they're hungover. You try that out, see how that goes. And then people, when they look at your writing after you've done this stuff, they go, how'd you think of that? And it's like, well, you just, you didn't try to be a good writer. You just created things that made it so it was easy to be, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, and your dialogue becomes so creative and so interesting. And like the subtext is so rich because you just let the situation. And then like, how do you come up with the breakfast, right? Like, cause this is breakfast and eggs. And so some people go, well, you know, like, how do you think, well, maybe in, am I in the beginning of the story? Is this the very first scene I'm writing or has the scene, do I have some of the scenes that I've already worked with to pull from? You know what I mean? Like, because if the scene the night before was them out at the nightclub partying and then this next scene, I might think, you know what, what, what happens the morning after that party, I just happen to decide, okay, I'm going to place it there. And they're both hung over after this party. And maybe something happened at the party. You know what I mean? But then maybe after I finish writing this egg scene with the milk, which is really a breakup scene, then I go back to the night before and I go, you know what? Maybe I can add some things to this nightclub scene that happened the night before that will inform the egg and milk and breakup scene. You see what I'm saying? And then mm -hmm. they go, how do you think to put that into the nightclub scene? And somehow I integrated breakfast into the nightclub. You know what I mean? And like, or whatever. Yeah. And now you got this, this story because these things are somehow tied together. But like when I wrote the nightclub scene, I didn't think of the, the breakfast scene yet. 
But once yeah. I wrote the breakfast scene, I went back and edited the nightclub scene because now, and so you see what I'm saying? Like it, you don't have to work so hard to be good. You just have to pay attention. Yeah. It's a, it's just a series of present moments, mm-hmm. right? And, and the, when you add them all up, they can, they can add up to something really extraordinary, totally. right? And people will be like, how did you do that? Right. And they try and want to break it down into, you know, like, 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 like turn it into, and, and don't get me wrong, <laughs> but like, I swear to God, man, the more and more I, <laughs> I look at, you know, especially, you know, my area of focus is in, is in acting and, and, and stuff. But like the more I look in and, and music to a certain extent, but it's like the more I, I look at so many things, I'm just like, wow, we have a lot of ways of trying to, um, control a lot of things when really all we need to do is pay attention, like really and fully pay attention to something, you know, it's like that, that's, to me always just like what's the essential ingredient in doing anything well you know and and it's not to me to say that you can't there's not things to learn about in in you know craft but i think ultimately like you just it, it all gives way eventually you know it's like this weird song and dance that we all have to do until we just get allow ourselves and trust ourselves to a place of complete attention to the thing that we're doing um, you know, just, just completely with no, with no idea of, with no notions of what came before, with no ideas of what maybe comes after, with what something, what might become of something, but just, just this thing with complete undivided attention. And I'm like, yeah, I think that that's really, you know, like that, that's, that's the secret sauce, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's the secret sauce to, to anything artful, you know, because you will always, in a way you will always know what to do. Mm -hmm. You always know what to do. And why do you always know what to do? It's because you've just been paying attention. You've been paying attention to what the thing actually is, as opposed to trying to control it and force it and push it into something. But, just engaged in a creative process of, of finding out, Mm -hmm. continually finding out over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And it makes it so simple, but it, it does, it does make a certain demand of us and it does push into, I think how, you know, you were talking, you kind of implied this or not even applied it. You, you spoke quite directly to it, but it's like, you know, something that we're all kind of conditioned to, you know, it's just like where it's just like, no, it's all we're, we're all kind of conditioned to this attitude of like, you've got to you've got to control every aspect of everything. So you get the desired outcome. Right. There to me are so many problems with that thing. Again, if if we haven't talked about enough of them already at this point, but it's like, all right, well, a you can't control everything. You don't control the outcome. (laughs) Like none of these things you are ever in control of at any single point. You can maybe influence it best. You can influence it best, but it's ultimately who fucking knows. Mm -hmm. 
right? I don't doubt that the best screenplay anyone has ever read is maybe just sitting there in somebody's office. You know? I don't doubt it. It's probably just something something incredible. I, I, I know for sure that there are so many incredible things that are just sitting there that be like, no, I don't think so. You know, the rejection letter. Yeah. <laughs> right? So anyhow, there's there's all of these things. Like, yeah, like Stephen King rejected, like, what did you say, over a thousand times? Yeah. You know, so it's like, you just, there's, there's these things that you, we just don't have control over. So it's just like, so why worry about them? Why worry about them? Why don't we just get on with doing the thing because it's something that we genuinely care about doing for its own sake of doing it, mm-hmm. right? And and with that sort of attitude, with that sort of approach in what we do, we can approach something with our full with our full attention, and with that, we bring our you know whatever our our full creative power and whatever might be called art or artfulness to whatever we're doing. You know, I think that that's the only way that that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. And these things, these things just kind of, when you just allow the life of the thing that you're connected to in art to sort of dictate where you go, right? Oh, I didn't know I was going to, write this into the that last scene you know like you hadn't you have no idea and and i have some experience with that with with screenwriting where there are things like you had no plans for this thing you had no idea for this one thing to be in there but it was only it only became apparent after you came a certain part of the way and then it becomes clear it's just like oh okay let's let's do this and and you just go deeper and deeper and deeper with something but the process is still the same Mm-hmm. The process is always still just that 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 present awareness to what is needed mm-hmm. what is being called for at any given moment in in whatever it is that you're working on whether you're whether you're a writer or a musician or an actor or an architect or or a chiropractor <laughs> You know what I mean? It's just like attention, attention, attention. That's the only way you'll find out what is needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And you know, like I think, um, you know, I think we've kind of taken this, we've taken this on a good ride. And I don't, I don't want to add too many more elements to it because I think I like where this sits at this moment. And um, I kind of get the sense you feel the same. Um, but like I will say this, you know. For, for, for those people out there who, you know, they like to kind of, um, like you can go in with intention. Let me put it this way. You can go in with intention. Like when I used to play like pretty high division sports, you go in with the intention to win. You don't know if you're going to win by all intents and purposes. If you, if your team is a winning team, you know, and you're whatever, like you will win, you will get, but it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes it doesn't go as planned. And so like when you're doing something where they're like the result really matters, success is important. Um, you need to go in with intention and you need to make decisions based on your intention 
And those decisions have to happen in the moment. Look, when you're playing a game, two high division teams, like when you're playing together, you might have the superior team, but the ball doesn't always bounce the way you want. The puck doesn't go the way you want it to go. Whatever the sport is, doesn't always play the way you want it to play. And the best of players slip. The best of players make mistakes. You know, things get fumbled. It happens. So what you do is you try to develop the skills to be able to respond to potential problems. And I know this is a filmmaker to be very true. One thing I learned very early was that locations will fall through and, and people that you need or to rely on will fall through. Things like that will happen. And so what you do is you develop the ability to deal with those things as opposed to trying to control for them never happening. Mm-hmm. They will happen occasionally and you'll, you'll do everything. You'll do the paperwork. You'll get it all right. You'll figure it out. Like I had an Island to shoot on for one project I was doing and it flooded <laughs> and they would not let anyone on the Island. It flooded. The Island yeah. flooded. I mean, what do you do? Right? So like y- you have to, you have to look at it and go, okay, like we did everything. We got the paperwork, we got the approval, we got the, we got everyone organized, the schedule set, blah, blah, blah. And then it comes down to time and you know, you don't have a lot of money if you're independent film, right? And and every dollar counts. And then all of a sudden you're in this situation and everything you worked for fell through. Now the whole project isn't lost, but it's a pretty big setback, right? So like, I think that, you know, a lot of what we're talking about too is this present thing. It's about having the confidence and trust in yourself that if things don't go as planned, that you will pay enough attention and you will find it in yourself to be resourceful enough, creative enough, whatever you need to do to resolve and sort out what your next choice will be. It just, you just, it may not go as you planned, but it doesn't mean you lost the game. It might just mean you lost a battle along the way. Um, you know, and if you have that kind of winning attitude, it tends to be that you will win the war, but you will lose some battles most likely along the way. And, mm-hmm. you know, so that, that's just something I want to kind of throw out there because like, it's not like you just go in willy nilly, like whatever happens, happens, let it be. It's not like that necessarily. You have to have a certain element of that, but it doesn't mean that you don't care about winning. It doesn't mean you don't care about succeeding or achieving or doing whatever you're trying to do. It doesn't mean you abandon that. It just means that you you have a, a flexibility and a malleability to like who you are as a person because you who you are when you started this thing might not be sufficient for where it is that you think you want to go. So you might have to change. And that has to be something that you were open to in your plans is that the person who had the vision was not built for the visionary who made it real. So you have to be willing to change yourself and alter your your whole way of being in some cases just to adapt to your goal if your goal is important enough. But you'll be thankful for the goal because the goal served you to do that because otherwise without the goal, you wouldn't have done it. And then when you become whoever it is you're supposed to become, you're going to be able to see things you couldn't see before. And that's the wonderness and the wonderfulness of, you know, all of this, right? I always say wondrous, wonder. <laughs> and it's just like, but it is, it's, it's wonderful. You know what I mean? I mean, just like, whatever, like 
it's incredible. Like the, 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 it starts with eggs and it ends up being a love scene. You know, who knows? You don't know where it's going to go. You know, mm-hmm. um, you don't know. So just like, like, let yourself have that. Let yourself have that. That's that, you know? Yeah. So I, okay. uh, yeah, you I, got love, something? Go. I, I just wanted to say, I love the word wonderness. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's a real word, but I think it should be a real wor- word because it's like, it's like a combination of like wonder and wilderness enter yeah. into the, enter to the wonderness. Maybe we'll coin it for, for the show. <laughs> sure. Why not? It was a total accident, but Hey, you wonderness. know, good comes out about it, but that's, I guess that's kind of the example in and of itself, right? It's like yeah. you make a mistake, you end up coming up with an idea that, you know, maybe that is a good way to look at it. Well, you, you know, know, it's like, uh, you know, classic Bob Ross, you know, there are no mistakes, only happy accidents. Yeah, totally. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, let's do a quick beer break. Um, and then we'll wind this one right down. I'll, uh, I'll go first. I'm drinking a fistful of Pilsners. Nice. It's an Italian Pilsner from Parallel 49. Um, kind of like a fistful of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. And if you can see... Oh yeah, perfect. Yeah, the yeah. logo. Yeah, it's got uh, got sort of a classic, classic sort of Clint Eastwood type of cartoon character on there, holding holding the can on either on either side. <laughs> um, that's good. It's real good. Nice. Real good. Real yeah. good. All right, I'm having a new one. I've never had this before. This is from Snake Lake Brewing Company, and it's called the Birchleaf. Birchliff, Ber- Berliner Weiss beer, unfiltered. Mm. Um, it's uh, Birchcliff. That's it, Birchcliff. I couldn't read it because of the the fancy fancy way it was written. <laughs> Just wasn't happening. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, no, this is uh, it's it's good. It's very very flavorful, very tasty, um, kind of sweet, um, but. Uh, yeah, no, I, I recommend it. It's a good beer. It's been nice. Um, it's very tasty. I've, I've actually had a couple um, reasonable size cans as we've been talking. Um, so it's going down relatively easy. But, um, you know, I would say that maybe this sweetness would probably, like after a while, you probably have to move on, you know, because it yeah. does probably add up, get a little bit much. But uh, no, it's been a good beer. It's uh, I've always liked everything from Snake Lake. So that's what I'm having. Nice. Um, yeah, I don't know. You want to... Do final thoughts or? Um, I mean, sure. I'll 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 take a crack at it. I have all no right. idea what I'm gonna say, but um, <laughs> you know what? You That's just you right. just start. What's what's the thing, right? What's the thing, right in front of you? I I guess I'll come back down to that one, which is like you know that that's it's shocking at how often that is enough, and in fact, it's shocking at how often that is the best thing not only that it's just enough but that it's actually the best thing is is the thing that's right in front of you Mm. um and to reiterate something that uh that i said off the top it's like you know when you take care of the present the future takes care of itself as you said doesn't mean that you don't have intentions it doesn't mean that you that there isn't some sort of direction that you've kind of got inside of you you know ingrained you know it's like obviously like it's you know to to do anything that you do with real sincerity 
and heart, wholeheartedness and love. You know, those are, those are your best, those are your best tools. You know, you come in with those things and, and attention with it. Because I think that when you, I mean, when you bring love to something, which is something you, you would, talked about i don't know if it was in the podcast but maybe in our our pre it was just before we started our yeah. pre-chat yeah. yeah you know when you come in with genuine real love towards something real excitement towards you know something that you're creating you know attention very often comes with it you know like because there is there's sort of this built-in care that you have for it but just remember because it can be it can get easy it can be very easy to suddenly become taken over by all kinds of complicated bullshit and thinking about all of these other things that just don't matter, you know, that, that aren't even here right now. Th- those are, those are things that, that are still, as you, to borrow one of your word, ghosts, they're ghosts mm. of a possible future, but there's no reality to them. And, putting your attention on the simple thing that's right in front of you. Just keep that as your North star, the thing that you love. Cause if you, you know, if you do what you love, you're doing the things that you love or, or if you find the love in the things that you're doing, you know, like that is always your best North star. Keep your attention on that. Keep your attention on this thing that you are, um, engaged with that you are cooperating with that you are um yeah that you're just with Mm. uh and and let it tell you what to do because it will tell you what to do Mm. well yeah i mean you know i as we've been going through this talk it's um it's reminding me how much uh how much flow occurs through us through trust because like i often do hit a state of flow particularly with, with writing them and i sometimes wonder like how, how does it happen why does that happen what's going on and i think it's like it's 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 trust you know it's like i'm in the moment i'm paying really close attention to what i'm doing and i just trust that if i just focus on to go back to what we used already, if I focus on making breakfast in this scene, and I already understand, I already understand what this character is feeling. I already understand what that character is feeling. And if I don't, then that's my focus. What are they feeling? What does that feel like? What's that like? Have I been there? Have I experienced that? I try to get into that. Now, if I got into that and I feel like I'm ready to write and they get this they, they, it's a breakup scene. That's how it starts out. One person wants to break up. I don't even know what the other character wants. What does the other character want? You know, so I start asking the questions. Let's get focused. What, what's going on? Maybe that other person thinks everything's fine. Right? And you put your attention onto that. Okay? So now they're blindsided. But maybe during the, 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 this, is there a discovery? You know? So like... Now, like if you, like, if there's a discovery, maybe that character discovers something along the way, along the conversation, what could they discover? You know what I mean? And then you say, okay, well, I could add that in, you know, this could happen, but like, I might be halfway into the scene already. And all they're talking about so far is just, how do you want your eggs? 
and I don't know how to do that. And now this person's coming up to help me and they're closer to me and I don't want to be close to them. I want to like, you know, so you're trying to get through this situation, right? This conflict already built in. It's you're working it out. You're wrestling with it. But the thing is, is you get into flow because pretty soon you start living in the kitchen with them. You're there with them and, and you're experiencing it. And then all of a sudden, you know, like an emotional trigger hits and then you're feeling that emotion, you know? And so like that emotion informs something, you know? And so, you know, when you're, when you're going through, and doing whatever you're doing, you, you know, what I would say is like, and I'm just talking about writing, but I think this relates to pretty much everything. Every person, I, I, I really truly believe if you tapped into your truth and what I, what I, what I really mean by truth is if, if you tap into love, because everything is love. And, um, I, I'm, I'm kind of going on here a little bit, but Every tear you ever cry, every moment you ever get angry, every happy feeling you ever have, I, I can tell you back, I tell you something I've learned in life. It all comes back to some form of love, some way, some either lack of love, some hope for love, some wish of love, you know, something like that, something with love. And if you can find the love, man, you can crack a well inside of you that you you have no idea how deep it goes it, it, and, and it will take you places that you have, you never intended on going. <laughs> um, so, you know, if I could leave you guys with anything, you know, after listening to this ramble of a podcast, which has been really beautiful for us, but uh, <laughs> it's just like, follow the love, you know, when you get into worry and you get into all this crap, like, let's just go back to the love, you know, cause I, cause you know, cause the worry might be trying to protect some kind of love, but just get focused on the love. Don't focus on the fear, right? Because the fear is a distraction. It's a confusion and it's a ghost, but love is always real. Love is always real. And uh, I'm going to share one last story just before we finish this podcast. Here's my story. Evan and I wrote a script 17 years ago, probably. I don't know. I've been recently rewriting it, reworking it. And there's a scene in the movie... I think this is a good way to finish. There's a scene in the movie where this guy gets pretty messed up by the bad guys. It's a horror film. And when we first wrote it, I think we both kind of looked at this guy as kind of like a bit of a bro, you know, kind of like kind of a douche, not really like that important of a character. He gets axed and, you know, someone dies in the movie. And that was kind of the point, right? Some blood, some gore. Let's get this done. It'll motivate the characters, whatever. But I've been going deeper into this script. I've been trying to rewrite it. I'm like, you know, let's take this from good to great. What's it going to be to be great? And I was driving home from Jasper as I went to the mountains and saw some beautiful nature and, you know, it's just on the road by myself thinking. And I thought about this story about me and my dad. I was, a little, I was about 16 years old and I was driving the car with them and some guy, we were on some back road and some guy came out and started being really threatening and my dad got out. <laughs> And it makes me emotional because I remember being a little kid and I remember thinking he would, they were like, they were going to fight. They were squaring off. And I remember thinking, what if my dad gets hurt and I couldn't do anything about it. And I think about this script and I think about these characters who are watching their friend get slashed up and cut up or hurt and they can't do anything about it. And I just touch into this little kid who loves his dad. Now, if I can figure out how to translate that into this fucking script, I mean, it will be beautiful. <laughs> It'll be something else. 
but this is the this is my point. That love is very, very real. This story, how am I going to write a great scene? How am I going to make this thing great? I don't know how to do that, but I do know how to tap into something that's real for me. And so if I leave you guys with anything, don't worry about being great. Tap into what's real for you. Greatness comes out of that. Thank you for listening in on our conversation today. We hope you found something helpful that you can carry forward with you. Head over to our website, wayoftheartist.com, for more free exclusive material and learn about the show. If you haven't already, please support us by subscribing to the show, sharing it with people you know, and keeping compassionate, creative conversation going.